Hi there, and God bless you. I'm Brian Hallam. I pray that this message is a blessing to you. Thank you for downloading it, and thank you for following me on Twitter and Instagram and for liking and sharing what we post there. I just want you to know that I believe God wants to do something great in your life and in your family. So as we go into the Word today, let's go in with faith and hope and a high level of expectation for what God is going to do in your life. Bump your neighbor, tell them, expect God to do something good and you can be seated. Expect God to do something good. We have Dak Prescott. We've got Mr. Ware. We have Johnny Manziel. Glory to God. That's what I'm talking about. I almost wore my Johnny Manziel jersey today. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let, let me say it like this. And I'm, I'm kind of going out of order here because I was going to talk about this towards the end of the sermon. Because what preachers usually do is we kind of lay out a map of, of what we feel like the Lord would have us say uh, in a given message or a given uh, sermon. And, and so for me, I'm constantly uh, uh, asking the Lord, what would you say? Toby, would you see me after service, please? Yes, sir. The principal's office. Just kidding. Uh, I just saw you, but I want to talk to you for just a minute if we could after church. Um, but we map out where we want to go. And, and sometimes, matter of fact, most of the time, you know, it's pretty close to, to what, we were hope, what I was hoping to say or what I felt like the Lord would have me to say. But sometimes the Lord kind of throws it uh, in reverse. And, and uh, I knew this was going to be a powerful point, but I was kind of going to save it for the end. But I feel the Lord wanted me to just kind of deliver it right now. So here, here's the picture. If your child, every time you went to hug them, they flinched because they thought you were going to hit them, wouldn't it break your heart? Yes. Wouldn't it break your heart if your little grandbaby, every time you wanted to reach in your pocket and pull out a stick of gum and give it to them, or every time you wanted to pick them up and set them on your knee and tell them how much you love them, or every time you walked in the room, if you, if you wanted to grab the hand of your wife, she jerked it out of the way because she was scared you were going to hit it. Don't, wouldn't that just destroy who you are if the person that you love that much expected you to do something bad to them? Think about God. By definition, He is love. He has never looked at you through eyes of any other kind. He is constantly looking at you through love, through compassion, through overwhelming sincerity. All He wants is what's best for you. And we've got people, and I'm not even talking about just people, because if you don't know Jesus, you really don't have much to say about it. But I'm talking about Christians that look at God as if He wanted to do something bad to them. Literally, it's like you're looking down to hug your little baby, and your little baby going, oh, Oh, no. How much more so does our Father in heaven know how to bless us, the Bible says? 
No, we're not going to expect God to do something bad. We're not going to put bad things on God as if he's the one who's messing things up for us. On the exact contrary, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He sticks closer than a brother. He is unbelievable compassion made manifest through his son Jesus Christ who when you should have paid your own debt paid it gladly for you he is the overwhelming sense and peace he is sense of peace he is the overwhelming king he is the thing that shifts everything in our favor we're going to expect God to do something good we when I was growing up we we lived way out in the country as a matter of fact Last year, towards the end of the year, we went back to, I drove my kids kind of down memory lane. I said, oh, we used to live in this house, and we used to live in this house. And we drove down, and we drove to the place that, that we spent the bulk of our time growing up, which was way out in the middle of nowhere. And I remember driving down the road thinking, man, if, if you didn't know this road existed, you would like, like, like you just wouldn't even know. But I always wondered why people always gave us dogs that they didn't want. Well, now I figured it out. That's because out there, nobody cared if your dog wasn't nice. Nobody cared if your dog was a problem. So occasionally, we would get dogs that were a problem. And one particular dog, and I don't know, I'm, I'm not here to argue good dog versus bad dog, how you raise them versus not how you raise them. You can make all that. You can work all that yourself. But there was this one dog. It was an uh, Australian Shepherd. I believe it was Australian Shepherd, and it was a little old bitty thing, and it was it was awesome because it would if you shot a water hose at this dog, it would sit there and bite the water constantly. Stop! And you turn the water off, turn the water hose So to a kid, 12, 13 years old, I mean, it was like giving me a best friend. I didn't need anything else to do. What are you going to do after do after school? I'm going to shoot my dog with a water hose, and he's going to bite it. Chuck, 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 chuck. And it was amazing. The problem was he bit everything else like that too. <laughs> I particularly we had we had one time we had somebody we were going out of town and we had somebody uh, go and 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 they were going to feed our dogs for us. We had two or three dogs, and we had somebody who was going to feed our dogs for us. And and, and I, I told him I said I said now don't pet that dog. <laughs> Oh, that dog's so nice. It's just misunderstood. I said, that dog might be understood, but don't pet that dog. And, and we got a call while we were on vacation. got a call. said, yeah, so uh, turns out the dog bit my nose. <laughs> I said, what were you doing? Well, I was petting the dog. I said, well, bless God, don't pet that dog. Shoot it with a water hose, you know. But it, it, was, it was a very unique dog. But whoever had this dog before us apparently wore a baseball cap. So that dog despised baseball caps. If I was wearing a baseball cap, that dog would literally, I remember one time I bent over to pick something up and the dog bit the hat off of my head and just takes off running. And I'm like, dog, what? you have my hat. Why do you have my hat? So I'm chasing the dog to get my baseball cap back. And then I realized the only way I can get the baseball cap back is to turn the water hose on. Dog come back. He can't bite water and chew on my hat at the same time. So I got my baseball hat back. But then I noticed one day that if you were around that dog, he didn't like baseball caps. But when you took your baseball cap off, 
Somebody must have done something to this dog with a baseball cap because he started flinching. He would hide. I don't know if the guy, so, maybe it was a lady. I don't know if we ever had the dog, the dog before us. Maybe they would throw their hat at it or something. But that dog, if you took your hat off around that dog, he expected something bad to happen. You see, God is nothing like that. And you're not a dog That's in his eyes. When you come close to your father, when you draw near to him, the Bible says he draws near to you, he draws near to you. And literally, when you do, you don't have to wonder what you're going to get from God. You don't have to wonder what he's going to throw at you or what he's not going to throw at you. No, he's there to help you. The Bible says he's opening doors that no man can close. He's closing the doors that we shouldn't walk through. He's leading us beside still water. He's putting us in areas where we can rest gently. He's preparing a table for us in the presence of our enemies. He's nothing like the man with the hat. No, he's like the one who chose to give his own son so that you and I could be set free. Somebody give God a big hand to praise. Open your Bible, if you would, Mark chapter 5. I want to tell you a story, or read you a story, really, of a lady who expected God to do something good in her life. Jesus, the Bible says, he was going to heal a little girl, 12-year-old girl who was sick and going to die. And he was on his way to heal this little girl. And there was a whole bunch of people around Jesus, a big crowd. And, and they, were, they were all trying to get to him. But the Bible says in Mark 5 and 25, it says, A certain woman, which had an issue of blood for 12 years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all she had, and get this, and was nothing better, but actually grew worse. Have you ever been there before when you've done everything you could think to do yet for whatever reason things are still getting worse maybe it's a relationship that you you said okay i'm going to give this to god i'm going to do everything i can every time that he says something ugly to me i'm going to say something nice every time that she says something ugly to me i'm going to say something nice and you've done everything that you could think to do you've done everything that you could come up with on your own and Every single thing you do, it just seems to be getting worse. Maybe it's a business. Maybe it's a, a business that, that literally you're going and, 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 and you thought, man, I, I'm going to start this business. It's going to go so good and it's going to be amazing and it's going to go wonderful. But every time you turn around, it's another brick wall. Every time you turn around, it's another problem. Maybe it's school where you, you sit there and you think, I'm going to do this. Is this going to be my degree? And then I'm going to go and be successful in this occupation. But the whole way, every time you turn around, it's just a, a problem. You've done everything you can do, but nothing seems to be getting better. On the contrary, everything seems to be getting worse. This lady for 12 years has been dealing with a condition that not only was a problem for her, but in that day and age, it literally meant she wasn't even allowed to touch people. She wasn't allowed to be around people. She wasn't allowed to be in the crowd that she was in. But 27 says, when she heard of Jesus, when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and she touched the hem of his garment. When she heard about Jesus, did you know she probably didn't hear that God uh, or Jesus had done something wrong to somebody that she knows? 
She probably didn't hear that Jesus was out causing problems for people. No, something here caused her to expect God to do something good if she could get close to Jesus. And the Bible says she heard of Jesus, which means when you talk about the Lord, when you talk about who he is, please, let's represent him in the best light possible. Meaning you can't, you can't describe him better than he is, so try to. He changes everything for every one of us in every situation. But literally, the Bible says when she heard of Jesus, she came behind in the press and she touched the end of his gar- the hem of his garment. Meaning there was a great crowd of people and she was sitting there and, and she said, if I can just get close to him. And she pressed through the people and she got there and she just touched the hem of his garment. Let me, let me say it like this. Number one, if you're taking notes. Even in a crowd, you can always touch him. Even in a crowd, you always have access to him. On a city street, in your car, in traffic, at church on a Sunday morning, at home in the midnight hour when you can't sleep and you're worried about your kids, uh, at the doctor's office when you're waiting on them to walk in and give you a report, uh, on the job site when everything's going bad and no contractors are showing up on time, you can still touch Jesus. You can still have access to Jesus. You can still reach out and grab a hold to Jesus. You see, he didn't make it hard for us to get to. Religion makes him hard to get to. But Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but by me. Then he says, I'm the door. Then he says, I'm the good shepherd. He literally is trying to say to us over and over and over again, I'm doing everything I can to make it as easy as possible for you to reach out at any moment, at any time, and just grab a hold of whatever you need in whatever situation you find yourself in. He says, he, she says, she says, she came in the press behind, touched the hem of his garment. Verse 28 says, for she said, if I might touch just his clothes, I'll be made whole. Jesus is always available to you and me. But number two, expecting God to do something good is the breeding ground for the miraculous in your life. Expecting God to do something good is the breeding ground for the miraculous in your life. The Bible says that Abraham, against hope, hoped. One translation says, without any reason to expect anything good to happen, Abraham still expected God to do what he said. The prodigal son, the Bible says, he was away from his father, yet his father, when the prodigal son finally came home, the Bible says his father saw him from afar off coming, which means I believe the father used to walk day and night looking down the road saying, I don't know when my boy's coming home, but I know my boy's coming home. There's only one road in here and one road out. When my boy starts coming down that road, he might feel guilty. I'm going to make sure that he knows that I love him. I'm going to run out there and catch him. The Bible says that the prodigal son, when he saw his boy from afar off, he got up, he ran out to meet him. He took a coat, put it on his shoulders. He put a ring, put it on his fingers. He put shoes on his feet. And then he told everybody else, now it's time to party because my boy has come home. You see, God is constantly, ever and always looking for me and you to come back. But we've got to get a little bit of that father in ourselves, a little bit of that prodigal son's father in ourselves, where we're staring down the road going, I know it's not working out yet. I know I haven't seen all the miracles yet. I know I still got problems on my left and problems on my right. But soon and very soon, I 
I know that God, my God is able to do what he said he's going to do. And before I end, before this thing is over, I'll see my son walking down that road. I'll see my daughter walking down that road. I'll see my family member walking down that road. I'll see my debts paid off in the name of Jesus. I'll see my career begin to flourish in the name of Jesus. This report will not be the end of me. I am healed by the stripes on Jesus' back. I'm going to see this thing come to pass. There has to be an expectation of what God is going to do in your life. Because literally, when you develop a spirit of expectation, that's when the miraculous begins to break out. The Bible says that Job lost his entire family, lost his entire estate, lost everything. And it was the worst thing imaginable. And he was surrounded by a bunch of friends who were telling him, oh man, you must have done something wrong. Then his wife told him, you should curse God. But Job says, I'm not fixing to curse God. And he said it like this. He said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Now the, re- the, 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 the good news behind that is God didn't slay him. God didn't kill his children. The devil killed his children. God didn't take his stuff. The devil came and took his stuff. It wasn't the fact that Job was sitting there and God was sickening the devil on Job. The reality was is God was sickening Job on the devil. There's a place coming whenever, there's a thing coming in your life when you decide I'm going to look down the road with great expectation and if I don't remember anything else, I'm going to expect God to do something good. You're going to be thinking anyway. The Bible says as a man thinks, so is he. Whatever you're thinking on, that's the way you'll be. So if every time you have that thought that says it's not going to work out, it's not going to make it, I'm going to fail. If you'll just take that thought, grab it by the horns, throw it to the ground. The Bible says cast down vain imaginations and anything that exhausts itself against the knowledge of God. If you get to the place where you say, I'm not going to deal with that kind of thinking anymore. No, every time I start thinking that, I'm going to throw that down. I'm just going to expect God to do something. Something good. I'm going to believe God in the middle of all the adversity. Do I want a problem in my life? Absolutely not. But if a problem shows up in my life, I am going to believe God at what He says, believe Him at His word, and I am going to expect Him to do something good in my life. It says, He who would not withhold His own Son from you, what would He deny us? I heard, a, I heard a story the other day. It was about a man. And uh, he, he, he saved enough money to go on a cruise. And he got on the cruise and he was so excited because he saved enough money to go on a cruise. And he got on the cruise and every day he, he sat there and he, he looked and he'd go about lunchtime to the, to the, to the dining room. And there'd be a, there'd be a uh, everybody was sitting there. And who, who in here has ever been on a cruise? Give me, give me a big hand wave. Who in here just believes God we should all go on a cruise this week? I love cruising, and and I'm exceptionally good at it, I might say. I know where to eat. I know when to eat. They have room service on cruises. They They have the menu items you can order on cruises. My wife and I, when we go on a cruise, we spend about three months trying to figure out every trick and every secret on every cruise ship. And I just want you to know, if you've never been on a cruise, I'm going to believe God with you that you get to go on a cruise. Because it's awesome. Anyway, this man goes on a cruise. Man, I really feel my ADD kicking in today, baby. This man goes on a cruise. He goes to lunch, watches everybody at the buffet. And on cruises, y'all, they don't just do buffets. 
I'm talking shrimp. I'm talking shrimp with cocktail sauce. And if you eat all of them, they will bring more shrimp. I'm talking ice sculptures that have been designed to keep the shrimp cold. Your shrimp with cocktail sauce is being kept cold by an ice sculpture of a swan. I'm talking lobster. I'm talking they bring a lobster out to you. If you ask them for another one, they say yes. So this man's on this cruise. And he watches everybody and they're all having their lunch. And every day, he sits over in the corner and he pulls out a brown paper bag and he's got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And he eats his peanut butter and jelly sandwich and he goes back and sits on, the, sits on the deck and goes back to his room and rests. Next day, that evening for dinner, comes out, he takes a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, eats peanut, watching everybody else eat the lobster. He's watching me eat all those shrimp. I'm talking shrimp, y'all. I ain't talking about... <laughs> Moving on. He's watching everybody have all the delicacies. Finally, one day, he, he, he's sitting there, and it's the last day of the cruise, and the captain has noticed him several days in a row, and he thinks, well, maybe he has a, a dietary restriction. Maybe there's something. So he comes over to him. He says, sir, he said, is there something we could do for you that would better serve you? I've seen you every day eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Is there something else we could fix for you? He goes, oh, no, sir. Thank you very much. He said... He said, I just had enough money to buy a ticket for the cruise, but I don't have enough money to buy any of the food on the cruise. The captain looked at him. He said, oh, sir, somebody should have told you this cruise is all-inclusive. Everything that everybody else is eating, you can have too. You just have to know it. You see, the Bible says she heard of Jesus, and it caused her to expect God to do something good. If you've ever seen anybody experiencing something good in God, then you have just as much of a right to that because the Bible says he is no respecter of persons. This is an all-inclusive trip to the other side. The Scripture continues to say, verse 29, Straightway, she said to herself, if I may, verse 28, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be whole. She expected God to do something good. Verse 29, straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the plague. Straightway means immediately. Sometimes God does things instantly. And sometimes the Bible says that you're healed as you go. In other words... You're either going to be healed instantly, eventually, or eternally. But the healing is yours, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. But have you ever looked at somebody, and, and, and I know this is a little tough, but have you ever looked at somebody and you wondered, well, how come they got that and I did not? How come they're experiencing that? And I have not. How come, how come she's married and she has the man of her dreams? How come he's married and, and, and he has the woman of her dreams? How come, how, why is this happening? Why is it always happening to me? Number three, never judge. Because you don't know the backstory. She was healed instantly, but she had carried it for 12 years. 
You, you see somebody that, that receives a, a healing aid, and you may not know that for 12 years they carried it privately. They spent everything they could on physicians. They had done everything that they could do. They literally were, were, were ostracized. They were literally pointed at and laughed at and ridiculed. For a dozen years they spent their life in exile, yet somehow, some way, God heals them instantly. Yet the knee-jerk response for us is we want to go, well, how come they got that? Well, you haven't been carrying it for 12 years. You see, the idea of God not being fair is something we should probably come to grips with really quickly. God is not fair. Maybe you've had the thought, oh, why this, why me, why this, why me? God is not fair. And let me just make it real clear. If you've ever had the thought and wondered why God allowed something to happen or did not allow something to happen, you've got to throw from your mind the idea, the perception that God is somehow fair because God is the furthest thing from fair. Preacher, I don't know about that. If God was fair, you would have to pay for your own sin. If God was fair, when you died and crossed over, he would have a list like Santa Claus and he would be checking it twice and he would be marking naughty and nice. And every one of us, including the man with the microphone, would not be on the nice list. I would be thrown in utter despair as far from him as could be. But God is not fair and thank God he is not fair, but he is just. Just because it is the sacrifice of his son that pays the price for you and me. It is the sacrifice that Jesus made that paid the price for you and me. He's just because Jesus wasn't required to do it. Jesus was told or asked to do it by his father. But he still had to make the decision because if he had been forced into it, now it wouldn't be just. But because he willingly laid his life down, now it's justified. In other words, if you have a, a speeding ticket, and I know many of you do. If you have a speeding ticket and you came to me and, and you, you, you grabbed me and you put me in a headlock, number one, we would be wrestling right there. But number two, if you grabbed me and put me in a headlock and you said, listen, listen, I, you're going to pay my speeding ticket. And I'll be like, I don't want to pay your speeding ticket. You're going to pay my speeding ticket. It would not be fair and it would not be just. But if I found out you had a speeding ticket. And I said, look, I'm just so impressed with your Mario Andretti driving skills that I want to pay your debt. I want to pay your fine. That is completely justified, not because the person who owes it pays it, but because the person willing to pay the price does so willingly. You see, God is not fair. If, he was, if, if you ever wondered about God being fair, no, he's not fair. He's not fixing to be fair. He's not going to be fair tomorrow. If he was fair, we would all be terminally, we, we would have major issues. But he's just. Don't ever look at somebody else's miracle and wonder why you didn't get it. Don't ever look at somebody's miracle and think, oh, they shouldn't have. I deserve it more because this. She didn't tell anybody she'd been sick for 12 years. She didn't say anything to anybody. See, if they had told her, if they had found out what condition she was carrying around, they might would have tarred and feathered her right there on the spot because she wasn't supposed to be around everybody. We got to be very cautious that we don't look at what somebody else is going through or receiving as if it's somehow a knock against us. 
Straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said unto him, You see the multitude of people thronging around you? And you say, Who touched me? Not only can you access him in a crowd, But he sees beyond the crowd. Maybe you've been in a real powerful environment before. Maybe it's hundreds of people, thousands even, lifting up the name of Jesus and worshiping, and you sense his presence so strong. And the thought crosses your mind, I wonder if he's thinking on me. We don't know how many people were there, but lots. They were all reaching and grabbing Jesus. Yet only one was able to pull the power. The Bible says virtue. In the Greek, it's dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite. Literally, the woman pulled dynamite power from the edge of Jesus' clothes and was completely made whole. He cares far beyond the crowd. If you've ever wondered if you're lost in the mix, know that he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He has a great plan for your life that's better than anything that you could ever come up with, anything that you could ever ask or think on your own. He's, he's into the crowd. He's into the masses. He's not against that at all. We can see through our Bible where he's constantly got a crowd around him. But then we can see in the midst of the crowd, not only was he on the way to heal a little girl, which also happened to be 12 years old. He was going to heal a little 12-year-old girl, meaning he had one thing to do, yet he didn't leave the other thing undone. She grabs his coat, pulls power from Jesus. Jesus says, who touched me? Verse 32, he looked around to see, to see her that had done this thing. Can I just say this? Jesus never asks a question he doesn't know the answer to. When he asks you a question, he's trying to see if you're going to be honest. He's trying to say, and if you can't be honest with anybody else, Never be fearful to be honest with him. Amen. Here's how it might look in your prayer life. Lord, there's this one area of my life that I feel the presence of the Lord. There's this one area of my life, Lord, that I don't want to talk about. Truth be told, Lord, all these other things I do want you to do, but this one thing, maybe it's advice, maybe it's an idea, maybe it's a thought process, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a, an activity, maybe it's, maybe it's something that nobody else knows about you. Lord, bless my kids, bless my wife, bless my, my job, bless all these other things, but you never bring this other thing up because the reality is, is you don't want to admit it but your taste buds do like that, whatever it is. And you don't want to bring it up to the Lord because, number one, you would feel so convicted if you mentioned it 
But number two, you're not sure you'd really want him to get rid of it. And it's a, it's, it's a place of honesty that maybe that level of honesty doesn't even exist with another human. But with God, never be concerned to be honest with God because the only thing you should expect from Him is for Him to do something good. God, I, I would bring this prayer to you, but I'll be honest, it, it's become part of me and I don't know about letting it go. Sometimes we don't need to pray for God to stop a thing from happening. We need to pray for God to change our taste buds. Sometimes he'll change your appetite. I know this 100%. I've experienced it. I remember there was a place in my life where I wanted to do right. I wanted to this. But I would just immediately, I'd go real strong. And then all of a sudden, I would just, I couldn't get over the, a few things. I would just, boom, I'd just fall back down. And I went through this cycle of like everything's good. And then all of a sudden, I'm down here. And I felt so guilty down here. And I felt so good up here. But the reality was is my feelings of how I felt were contingent upon how I had acted that week and I was like oh God I'm, I'm doing so good for you I just believe I can hit a rock and water will come out and the reality I was no more or less righteous in that moment than I was the moment I said yes to him in the first place the Bible says it was by one man's sin that we're all born in sin you didn't have a choice you were born after Adam you were born into sin and just like Italians speak Italian, sinners sin. It is by one man's sacrifice that we have all been made righteous, those who have accepted it. So if it was by one man's fall that we were all made sinners, don't you think it's not really fair, but it's just for us to be by one man's sacrifice to be redeemed. So when you miss the mark, it doesn't mean you are what you used to be any more than whenever you trip and fall. You don't lose your last name. You are born with that last name. So when you become born again, you don't fall back to being what you were. You are the new creature. You just tripped and fell. Sometimes the prayer is not, oh God, keep me from doing this again, as if you need handcuffs to be able to live for Jesus. The prayer needs to be, God, if anybody can change my appetite, change mine. You said that you will give me the desires of my heart. Take these desires out of my heart, oh God, and replace them with new desires. I don't want it. I don't want to be like a dog returning to my vomit. I want to pursue you with all that I have. But the only way that I can do that is you've got to take some of this stuff out of me. It's when you get honest with God. It's when you get honest with who He is. It's when you decide... I don't want to do the cycle. I don't want to, I'm okay today and I feel good about life, but then I miss the mark and it takes me six weeks worth of not cussing to where I feel good enough to pray again. Jesus would never ask you not to pray. It's the devil himself whispering in your ear saying, you're not good enough. You ought to turn and shout at him and say, I never was good enough. 
I wasn't good enough when he left the 99 and he came and found me. I wasn't good enough when he found me stuck in the miry clay. I wasn't good enough when I was addicted to this or addicted to that. And I'm not going to be good enough tomorrow. But the blood of Jesus has not lost its power. We're expecting God to do something good in our life. He's given us no reason to expect otherwise. The woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came, fell down before him, and told him all the truth. If you would just be honest with him, he'll take it all away. And you don't have to be honest with everybody. Nobody needs to know all your beeswax. It's none of their business. They didn't make you. They didn't form you. They didn't breathe the breath of life into you. When you tell him the whole truth, now he's got something to work with. Jesus never asks a question he doesn't know the answer to. He's asking, will you be honest with me? We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you'd like more information about Pastor Brian or New Heights Church, visit newheightschurch.info and be sure to follow Pastor Brian on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, thank you so much for liking and sharing.